Today on the Value for Money podcast, we're talking to Zoe Alexander of Nest to find out what value for money means to her. Welcome to the eighth episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast. And Nico, we've passed over a thousand downloads, which yes. is absolutely fantastic. Amazing. Um, delighted to be joined by Nico Aspinall, the one and only um, investment guru in the DC world. Um, currently an independent consultant, and it's going well, I hear. Uh, yeah, yeah, very well. Yeah, I'm getting up towards being busy. Yeah. So you know, not so much time to play the piano now, then? No, I always make time. Always Excellent. make time. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, and of course, I'm delighted, as ever, to be joined by my inimitable co-host, uh, Darren Philp. I didn't come up with a Can funny joke. That? <laughs> no, <laughs> not live. There's some eyes in it. <laughs> Probably a T or two. <laughs> Darren Philp. <laughs> there you go. Hello. Hello, hello. And, and we are absolutely delighted to be talking to Zoe Alexander. Hi, Zoe. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, Zoe, you're Director of Strategy and Corporate Affairs for Nest. That's right. Um, I think, I'm not going to say most famous, but uh, one of the first people appointed to PADA. Um, I was. I say PADA. Uh, yeah. What do you say? Is it PADA or PADA? It's definitely PADA. It definitely PADA. I'm going to keep my uh, upper middle class rounded A's for the PADA. <laughs> it's a bath, isn't it? You're so posh. <laughs> you're so posh. Um, and uh, operations for pensions wise um, I've written down personal secretary private secretary private, private there secretary. we go yeah. to the secretary of state yeah. Yeah. so yeah. many many different hats welcome uh, we'll be talking I'm sure about much of that uh, in today's podcast and I, think, I think when we met Zoe it was when um, when you were in Pada and we were, we were with Sam Brand wasn't it yeah it was um, with uh, Sam DWB yeah. fame and yeah. it was to discuss the um, personal accounts, as it was called at the time, uh, uh, funding strategy. The funding and, strategy. And, and we had lots yeah. of good debates and stuff, didn't we? We did. So that was within my remit at, at PADA. We were in a single room on top of the Royal Courts of Justice. There were about 10 of us originally before we moved to Borough. And yeah, we were working on the funding strategy. And I remember a lot of um, interesting conversations with you in your Treasury role, trying yeah. to persuade you that we needed a loan, um, <laughs> yeah, no, which exactly. clearly we did. Yeah, um, yeah. So we won the argument. And, and, and not just a loan, a subsidised loan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you know that the pain I went through, because you joined the Treasury as well, didn't you? I did join the Treasury yeah. for PensionWise, which yeah. was incredibly intense. We had to deliver PensionWise yeah. pre-election in the yeah. space of about nine months with a very small team. We let multiple multi-million pound contracts out of a team of about five um designed the service overnight i it was a difficult time i'd say for citizens advice and tpr i mean tpas rather who yeah. did a great job of kind of accommodating all our demands but yeah we did it we got it yeah. off the ground and That's it's great. you know it's it's still running and i think it's doing a great job so is, yeah. um, that yeah. was that was a really a really fun time actually looking back yeah cool yeah cool. well we'll do more bio stuff well, we've probably done it now haven't we nico well, so no, i've no, gone I, out of order haven't i you have a little bit but i'm still i'm interested in the royal courts of justice so did you get <laughs> in the front door to get to that office no no no, no no it was around the back it was very kind of not salubrious <laughs> i can't remember the entrance but it wasn't it wasn't through the front door sadly no 
Uh, so, yeah, and, and having that experience and, and, and working and spending time um, in a private office, I never got to do that when I was mm. in the Treasury, but that's when you really see the inner workings of government and stuff, isn't it? And, you know, the stresses that ministers are under and stuff. And you, it must be, I won't ask you for any stories because you'll tell me that you can't say them, and, and quite rightly so. Yeah. But the insight that you get... Um, I mean, it was a fascinating time. And I think, you know, I I mean, one story which I will tell was when we went to talk to Tony Blair about um, automatic enrolment. And that was just pre me being in private office. I was working with uh, Phil Winowin, who was the director of, I can't remember his title, but one of the directors. Who's the director general? I think he was the DG, that's right. And I just remember the amount of prep that went into that meeting and going and being, you know, obviously really intimidated. I was about 24 or something. And all he said, we were in there for about 10 minutes, he said, is it going to fall over? Is it going to deliver? Right, yeah. make sure it delivers. Sure it delivers. See you yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. Got yeah. a handshake. That was it. Don't let Gordon Brown get in the way. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was fun. It was fun to do, yeah. Excellent, excellent. So, um, as always, and getting back on script. Um, well, we'll, well. The, oh, no. Oh, God, you're going to interfere <laughs> I'm going to take us off script again. Uh, music update, piano update. Oh, gosh. I, need to do that. <laughs> I, need to. I had a listen on Monday. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm getting all right at it, actually. At, so, at the, uh, at the Eric piece. Nassi. Okay, yeah, um, Eric Satie, cool. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not that far away. Are you ready to record? Yeah, and it might be, um, you know, it's not going to be sort of, you know, Nico quality. Cause oh, I yes. Anyone can get, get that Nico quality. And I might, you know, um, still bribe my piano teacher to play it for me. Um, but, you know, I, I might have a little twinkle at some point in the future. I, I uh, think his space? it would be a great intro and outro. Um, yeah, we could definitely do that. We could definitely do that. But maybe I don't want to, um, I don't want to steal your thunder, Nico. You know, um, well, maybe I record the intro and you can record the outro. We'll get way around. It's all about going first. Isn't it? Anyway, moving swiftly on. Well, and sorry, do you, do you play any music? I do play the flute. Um, Badly, I used to play it really pretty <laughs> well, but I haven't played company. it for about 10, 15 years now. Um, so it kind of sits in my cupboard. And I think I will at some stage get it out again. But um, but yeah, I really want to learn the piano as well. I'm quite jealous, Darren, that you're doing that. And, and Nico, that you can play. My daughter's learning the piano. And mm-hmm. um, I did think of starting piano lessons at the same time. And then I thought, it's going to feel like we're in competition. And I didn't want to kind of, you know... <laughs> steal her thunder so I'm going to let her do it let her get good and then I'll I'll have a go at it in a, in a few years time I find yeah. it we, we I think we, just, we picked this up in um the episode with David Butcher one of the mm. first ones we got like it's I just find it very therapeutic it's just mm. it just sort of tests different parts of my brain yeah um and I find it you know quite stressful having the lessons and practicing yeah. and all of that yeah. but it's a good stress and I really enjoy it it's a sort of yeah. bit of a release for me yeah which is nice it's my uh, long-suffering partner, Emma, who I feel worst for as I kind of butcher these, uh, these pieces of classical music. Um, she, she occasionally tells me she likes it, but uh, I, I can't believe she does. No, I can't believe she does. Excellent. Wait, can we do the news? Oh, OK. All OK, right. we do the news. So, um, guest prerogative, Zoe, um, what have you got first? I'm going first. So, I had a look this morning and I saw what I thought was quite an interesting report from LCP. So, this is... Steve Webb, I think, probably leading this work. And and it's about um, the people coming out of the labour market close to retirement. So what LCP seem to be saying is it's not a lot of people just taking early retirement Mm. and leaving. A lot of people are long term sick, Mm. in particular between sort of 55 and, and, and retirement age. And partly that's to do with the state of the health system. And so that's, you know, pretty sad, pretty bleak picture. I think what's really interesting about it is, 
you know, we need to think hard about people who can't work all the way to state pension age because yeah. there will be lots of people. There already are lots of people who can't. Um, how do we help them use their DC savings in the best possible way? So is there, I mean, I remember having conversations with our old chair, Otto, at, at Nest kind of, I don't know, four or five years ago about should we have a kind of bridge product where we, mm. we help people bridge from the point at which they become sick or they can't work to retirement? And there's all sorts of complexities with that. Another thing that, funnily enough, we're talking to Steve Webb about is the interaction between benefits and mm. um and DC savings, and that's really complicated. So, so if you start taking large chunks of capital out, you know, the, there might be impacts if you're on housing benefit and things. So there's lots right. to think about. But I do think um, it's something we need to cater for because as state pension age, rightly, I would say, rises, there's going to be people who, who just need that DC pot to, to help them survive for those few it's a, years. It's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because I always, and we've, we've, we've harked back to the pensions commission a few times. Oh, yes. It's podcast. our favourite commission. It's our, fav- it's our favourite commission. <laughs> it's the only commission we talk about. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that, that, that was great for um, looking at things holistically um, and, and, and really sort of solve the participation you know, um, issue and yeah. auto enrolment, as yeah. we've said many yeah. times, has been a huge success. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't sort of pick up on some of these wider issues. Like I know it had a sort of an extended working lives strand and all of that, but that wasn't as um, sort of high profile and wasn't driven f- forward as much as auto enrolment and nest and some of the yeah. um, state pension aspects of the reforms. And it does seem to me sometimes that you know constant tinkering with the system mm. just doesn't help on this. Mm. And we just need to take a step back and think through some of the issues that you yeah. just highlighted, Zoe, and, and, and that Steve Webb's um, highlighted and the, um, um, you know, in, in, in that report from LCP. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And I do think there is, there is a really strong case, a building case for a pause at some stage mm. and just to say, look, let's take a long-term view of this again. Yeah. You need the right political climate to do that. You need the right people involved. Yeah. But actually, there's a, there's the whole social care question, and let's not get into that. Yeah. But, you know, I yeah. mean, there's just a plethora of kind of interconnected issues that mean that for whatever reason that you know the, the system isn't working as well as it, it could and I think and I think addressing those in, in the round at some stage would be really yeah valuable. I mean uh, so for me there's just this mega topic which we haven't broached which is growth um, and the unfunded pension system is based on the fact that there'll be more people paying for those pensions into the future yeah um, obviously you've got the demographic shift where that uh, support ratio has changed dramatically since 1908 or whenever it is um, and um, at the same time, the rationale for not funding it is on the basis that the tax receipts coming in through national insurance will be ever greater than the, the demand. And that's the pressure that puts, I think, the, um, the, the state pension age up um, and the political pressure that puts the value of the pension up. Uh, you know, these are, these are really complex pieces. When you um, started quoting 1908, I thought you were going to get all actuarial on us for a moment then, OK? Um, but no, let, let we can speak try not there. to. <laughs> so, so what have I brought in? Um, Robin Ellison, he's a good friend of mine, yeah, and um, I always fondly remember the story he tells me about um, standing as an MP, standing for um, election as an MP in a North London constituency. And he stood on the um, manifesto of pensions reform and could you get pensions on a page. It was probably more than a page, but it was a real deregulatory agenda. Um, I think um, Robin would be the first to admit that he didn't sort of keep his deposit. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, I, I, I Certainly I, Wikipedia will tell no, us that. But I love the fact that um, Robin is you know, quite controversial in his views and sort of sticks some stuff out there for consideration. And um, 
Professional Pensions had a piece um, with Robin this week, which is, in the first of a regular series of monthly columns for professional pensions, Robin Ellison puts forward his suggestions for how the TPR could polish up its, in quoted, in quotation marks, slightly tainted brand. And he talks about uh, Marie Kondo, who I've just found out um, does a lot of tidying and decluttering. Did. She did, yeah. <laughs> and then she I did ask Nico earlier whether we should declutter the podcast. Well, we said, no, it sparks joy. It, it does sparks joy. joy. But it sparks joy for us, doesn't it? Well, I, it? and I think to over a thousand uh, half-hour <laughs> segments, I hope they're, they're coming back because they're well, sparks, sparks joy. Perhaps if our listeners could email in and comment whether they, this podcast does spark joy or not, that would be really nice. I, feedback, I suspect they're it? voting with their feet. Um, yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, Robin um, is... is on his sort of deregulatory stick, um, talks about downsizing, um, creating an alliance, a popular policy with government, and Jacob Rees-Mogg, exclamation mark, oh dear Robin, you know, um, maybe going a bit too far there, Um, but you know, just talks about, you know, how are we over-regulating, you know, how do we how do we get better regulation? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, Robin always takes a view which is slightly um, non non centre on this stuff, but I think it's a good debate actually in terms of you know what the future of our regulatory regime looks like. Yeah, and it really plays into some of the discussions that we have around value for money and how we best measure stuff and um, you know how we deliver a pension system that allows space for innovation, yeah. but yeah. equally um, protects protects members because we know that members struggle to make decisions and pensions is a long term game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's this weird sort of measurement hubris, isn't it? So that you've got an FCA regulated rule book which says there's a whole bunch of stuff you can measure, uh, and if uh, you're ticking all the boxes, then surely customers get good value. And you're like, all oh, right, okay, that's an interesting, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting worldview. Um, and there's elements of it which are right, um, but the other side of the coin and saying actually we just need good principles of governance, and you should sort of let them explain why they're doing different mm. things. Um, and that's how you get innovation and uh, and evolution of the kind of system. Mm. I mean, you know, fundamentally, and God, I am going to be an actuary for a second. Oh, you know, you have to, you have to rely, um, particularly in asset allocation, for the kind of out-of-machine decisions. Mm. Because if you just let the machine do it, then um, you will be thrown into crises when your machine was calibrated. What is it? The, the, the general is very good at fighting the last war. Right? Mm, mm. So, so, you know, if you get too obsessed with your measurement and don't believe that there's any subjectivity, any discretion, and we'll come back to the VFM subjectivity, right? Then you get stuck in this world where, A, everybody's doing exactly the same thing because they're facing exactly the same measures, and therefore you get this massive systemic risk from any future shock. Mm. Uh, and B, there's no innovation because the rule book tells you, you know, very narrowly what you can and can't do. Yeah. I think, I think you know, a, at least part of the sort of puzzle here needs to be getting regulators feeling confident and skilled enough mm. to do the challenge. Because yeah. I think if you rely on those subjective judgments, and I think in some areas you really have to, and I completely agree, you can't just spit out the machine answer, and you shouldn't. The regulator needs to be coming into DC schemes and really understanding what's being said and challenging that and, and, and having the confidence yeah. to say when it's wrong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. You know, as it stands, I think DC regulation of workplace is still in its infancy. It's yeah. on, they're all on a learning curve. You know, there's been, you know, a lot of emphasis, and it still is a lot of emphasis on the DB side at TPR. I think the DC side needs to kind of grow, get more sophisticated and grow some more, te- more teeth, basically. Yeah. So that, you know, when we get the other side of VFM, 
if we come out with some subjective measures, and I hope we do, especially on the service side, we'll come back to that maybe, you know, people need to understand what's being written by trustees and not just be kind of blinded by science, right? They need to be able to go and properly challenge. Yeah, Yeah, and and, and I think the confidence point is an important one as well. And that leads to resources and having people with experience that are willing to sort of make judgments. You know, you can't just have a tick box approach yeah. as a regulator. And yeah, and that's not easy, right? You come into easy. a big it's professional scheme like Nest or anywhere, you know, somewhere like that, you know, it's not an easy thing mm. as a regulator to come yeah. and, and challenge that, the yeah. weight of that. Um, so yeah. I haven't read the article. Are we agreeing with Robin? Should we deregulate? Is that the... Well, I think I, 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 yeah, I, I didn't put it up there to agree with or disagree. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. I think... Um, you know, picking up on Zoe's comments, you know, we should always continually look to evolve our regulation and regulatory environment yeah. to best meet the needs. Yeah. And I, th- I can certainly see um, the case for sort of prescriptive approaches at times, but equally as the market matures, um, as governance improves and, and all of that, then, yeah. you know, it's important to look at what you can put by the wayside. Yeah. And you can't just keep adding stuff on yep. to trustees and adding stuff on to sort of professionals because ultimately they need time to innovate and they need time yep. to do their jobs. Yeah, I mean... I, so so for better me, regulation. Yeah, I mean, uh, so for me, you, you, it is less regulation um, and it is more discretion uh, as to what you do. But we do have to just recognise that the only successful track record of the financial services system is essentially to take advantage of customers. And so, you know, if you if you look at where the regulation of the FCA comes from, it's because past tense, this was a scandal. We need to now put in the kind of regulation which, uh, you know, before that that happened would have prevented it. And if you look at the corpus of I mean, I, I don't know if either of you have ever studied uh, the various bits of the FCA handbook. I mean, it is millions of pages now, yeah. I think, literally, um, you can probably trace a half, two thirds of it, to individual scandals in the financial services mm-hmm. sector. Uh, so we do have to recognise that, you know, I'd love to have this kind of shining beacon of the hill of this fantastic set of trustees who have the best interests at heart. At the moment, all of the commercial industry interests around the system just make it really difficult for that that to shine. Yeah, there. yeah. But, but, but in a way, I think, you know, Robin's point is, um, or, or, or what I take from some of Robin's points are, you know, regulation doesn't stand still, you yeah. know, and we need to continually sort of evolve and improve our regulatory environment to best serve, you know, the regulated community and the community that the regulator is trying to protect, i.e. members. Shall but, I move us on? Yeah, please um, do. So I wanted to pick out the Resolution Foundation's, uh, uh, what, grenade that they've thrown at the the pensions industry this week. Um, And I should say, I haven't actually managed to find the report. I I should also say, I think we'd love to get Torsten on, Torsten Bell. Um, I think he'd be a really good guest. Yeah, Yeah, he's great. Yeah, Torsten's great. Um, So there are so many interventions here that I can't possibly actually go through them all. Um, I have the uh, Actuarial Post's uh, digest, um, but amongst them... I read professional pensions, as Zoe does as well. Can you read the Actuarial Post? We're open to sponsorship from from any magazine. Um, So, um, yeah, uh, changes to to have us a flat rate uh, tax relief on contributions. I mean, I think... Actually, I got, I'm on the record in a letter in the FT that somebody else wrote for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't see how flat relief, uh, flat tax relief doesn't doesn't work. Um, but a cap on tax-free lump sums, you know, uh, very difficult, mm. very very difficult, very difficult to go back retrospectively. Yeah, so. yeah. NICs on pensions being paid, mm. uh, national insurance contributions. So uh, 
again, really difficult. And imagine if you've got two pensions, what's the what's the appropriate rate yeah. of NOCs? Do I, does now everyone who's paying me a pension need to talk to each other? And I go, well, you can have the personal allowance and you can, <laughs> I'm like, wow, what a complex system. Um, but look, good things in here as well. Uh, so so uh, businesses who contract with the self-employed, I guess that's the gig economy, yeah. um, make employer pension contributions. Yeah, spot on, mm-hmm. right? Um, raising or dropping the level that uh, earnings uh, start to count for auto enrollment. I think there's good industry consensus around that. Um, oh, yeah, well, so I'd say I'm actually, on the fence as well, yeah. but um, mm, I, uh, I think certainly uh, I haven't seen any opinion pieces saying um, we should not do that. Maybe Zoe, you want to publish one later? Um, and um, no, but I think there's an interesting debate on that. There's a re- it's really nuanced. That yeah, point. yeah, it really it's is. So yeah. nuanced yeah. because you look if you model it for a really low earner, mm. removing yeah. the low earnings limit, you double your contributions mm. overnight, mm. right? Yeah. So, so you know, I personally think it needs to come down i think you need to do it really carefully you need to look at the behavioral impacts you need to think about ameliorations for people that are in those yeah, kind of yeah, earning brackets yeah, yeah. It's, it's not clear cut yeah. um, from our perspective yeah. yeah i um i actually got um a, a direct message tweet from andy young um who um is a direct pensions regulator and he's a very good friend of mine we go uh-huh. to the great escape festival um and 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 um, Andy was saying to me, you know, you really need to get the evidence on, you know, um, changing around the auto enrolment thresholds because it, it really isn't clear cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, we know that the pensions industry is there to get people to have good outcomes. You know, notwithstanding the conversation we had about regulation um, before and some of the stuff of the past, um, but you do need to do the analysis. You know, you do need to do the analysis, and that analysis isn't easy. And there's no such thing as an average person. No, no. And I think um, you know some of the work that you guys do, Zoe, and the work that Nest Insight have mm. done um, yeah. is is really powerful in this space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, so just just my sort of naive uh, intuition is, is the state pension is there for lower earners, yeah. right? So, like, why are we building up at cost of heating or eating challenges? Uh, a pot that you know ultimately they're probably going to take as a lump sum because it doesn't meet the trivial commutation limits so I, i've never really understood the sense of this morphing of the state third pillar becoming state first pillar unless and this is what everybody on the street fears and as a you know as a pensions someone aware of pensions policy it seems impossible unless at some stage they're going to take the state pension away right oh, yeah, yeah. and everybody if you speak to loads of people on the street yeah. You know, that is the biggest fear. That yeah. is the biggest single fear. To me, that seems politically impossible, right? Yeah. But um, that's what people are scared of. Um, so just on the Resolution Foundation, right. yeah, I, I mean, like, basically the mindset here is um, we are in a huge deficit of public spending. What pockets are there to be picked, right? And the short answer is DC middle class pockets. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, can we do anything about DB? No, you know, that's that's left the stable. It's running down the, the, the course now. Um, but yeah, I mean, mucking around with the environment in which people have made long term savings decisions, yeah. you know, on the back of. So you might have written this two days ago, and then yesterday we hear that there's a surplus that they were unexpected in, in January, right? Mm-hmm. So it just seems like, uh, you know, maybe this is our standard call. We need another pensions call. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I, it is interesting. I haven't read it, right? <laughs> we established that when I arrived, and I, and I was quickly reading. I, I, um, <laughs> I know, oh, that's fine then. Um, we couldn't find it, Zoe. I, I mean, that's the other to, message you know, from I, Resolution You know, Foundation. I'm warmer to it. Listening to what you're saying, I'm warmer to it. But, but, you know, the one thing I would pull out 
because it reminded me of a conversation I had yesterday is this lump sum, 25% tax free lump sum. And this is not, mm. this is my personal view, mm. right? This isn't Nest um, commenting on public policy, but I worry about the behavioural impact of that 25% mm. tax free lump sum. I worry about the normalisation of taking out a quarter of your pension pot at the beginning of retirement or at 55 even. And I was on a call yesterday with Money and Mental Health, we were talking about mental health and the interaction with pensions. And there was evidence from their survey of people who'd just blown that 25% tax-free lump sum, right. saying, oh, I just took it out, didn't really know, I thought that's what everyone did, I was in crisis, wish I hadn't done it, mm. you know? And I don't think that would come as a surprise to anyone that that's happening. But but I do think that, you know, it just kind of reinforced for me, there is something that we need to think about, about how that is normalised and how appropriate it is as DC becomes a bigger part of people's income. Yeah. Should should that happen? Yeah. That's not to say for some people it's not incredibly important, right? Because yeah. you might want to buy a car at the beginning of your retirement. Yeah. Yeah. You might yeah. want to fix the house, mortgage, whatever, whatever it is, yeah, pay for mortgage. Is, yeah. But, I, you know, I it's not clear cut for it's me. It's not free money. And there's an opportunity cost for using that money yeah. on big purchases. Yeah. So it's about, it's, you know, is is the fact that it is 25% and you're not paying any tax from it. Does, do, do, you know, does that sort of create a behavioural framing for the individual? Mm. Um, which means that they will spend it in I a different way. I think it does. Way. I yeah. think it does. That's yeah. a really interesting yeah. point. And I don't, I don't, I, I, so I agree. I just don't think the intervention is to remove that relief. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. you know, I just fundamentally, you, you, you know, that is a promise uh, that's written into various bits of, of legislation. You will find high court challenges for people at the age of 60 who had a plan on that 25%, whether we see that paternalistically as being spurious or not. But you um, know, th- And I think those yeah. challenges would succeed because, you know, fundamentally... So then instantly here, we have to have a pre-23 accrual and a post-23 accrual. The, the, the complexity of the DC system is just doubled, right, overnight. Um, and, yeah, and again, you know, a DB person may well have that 25% written into the trust deed and rules. Mm. So are we actually finding the pockets that maybe have the best resilience to being picked for the taxpayer, right? I'm sure we'll come back to this in future podcasts. Well, I'm not sure we will. There's a sort of kite flying here from the Resolution well, Foundation. Yeah, but, so, yeah, but I, I like the idea of getting um, Torsten. Henry I'd love to. Yeah. Um, um, on that, um, yeah. on, on the podcast. Yeah. So I will reach out to him and see if he wants to... Uh, Join the join join the show. Um, join so, the movement. Join join the movement. Join the movement. <laughs> so, um, let's now talk about what we're here to talk about, Zoe. Yeah. Um, so, apologies for my co-host. Um, he does tend to sort of ramble off and go take us down more rabbit holes and all of that. I hope stuff. we've been interesting to our listeners. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, we ask our, the same question of all our guests, Zoe. Um, what does VFM mean to you? <clears throat> yeah. So so I thought about this from the perspective of a, of a Nest member, right? Because I think it's probably quite different depending on your demographic and the mm. type of saver that you are. And if you think about our membership, average earnings of kind of 23-ish thousand pounds, you're probably going to have a pot of, you know, well, I mean, it's, it varies massively, but let's imagine you've got a pot of, let's say, 10,000 pounds above the state pension when you get when you get there. What's really important to me is that person. And I think I came up with three things, right? So so first is an income, right? So mm. a pension's a pension, right? Pensions pay out, don't they? That's what, if you ask our members, <laughs> they used to. Could, could they do that again, please? You know, so, so I think that's really, really important. I think we have to have default um, income pathways. We have to target income in our investments. 
I want to see all good schemes doing that, not just yeah. Nest, right? Yeah. This isn't about Nest and doing the blueprint, although it is partly about Nest doing the blueprint. So I think, you know, we're still really focused on how do we design these uh, really, really high quality default retirement pathway? How do we build in some risk sharing at the back end of that? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, ultimately, personally, again, this isn't a Nest kind of official view, but, but I do, I, I think perhaps you want regulators overseeing a regime in which, um, in which all good schemes are expected to deliver a default, because that's what a pension is. And that's yeah. what people expect, yeah. a default income. Right. And I think, you know, there's other things you might want to do as well. Going back to that point we made about bridging to state pensions, yeah. other products and other forms you, you might offer. But fundamentally, if I want to just get to retirement, send you my bank details and you pay out for the next 30 years. Yeah. Can you do that, please? Yeah. It shouldn't be beyond the wit of man. So that's so that's thing one. Thing two is I want the maximum money out, please. I want as much money for my buck as I can get. So I want a really invest successful investment approach. I want lifestyling, which is suitable to my needs, which is probably an income. I care much more about money out than I do about service. And we could come back to that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I think... It's really important that schemes think really carefully about the level of investment in service for what is essentially a kind of a relatively inert population. And, and that comes back to your framing <coughs> at the start, doesn't it? Like, yeah. You know, because you were sort of saying, you know, this is for a mass market saver below yeah. median earnings. Yeah. 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 This yeah. isn't sort of for a high net worth individual that is sort of, yeah. you know, having lots of different funds and, yeah. you know, is yeah. on their tool and yeah. calculator app or whatever. Yeah messing about with pensions on a weekly basis. But, you know, really important caveat to that. I'm not saying that low earners don't look at apps, right? And shouldn't have a great... What, what I want to make sure is that when you touch the scheme, it's great, yeah. right? Yeah. But I'm not expecting you to touch it much, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so, so let's have an app. Let's, let's make sure that all the interactions we have with you are great. Let's try and get your data and encourage you to contribute more if that's the right thing for you. All of that stuff, really important. But fundamentally... The investment is the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, money in, money out. So that's so that's thing two. And then thing three is I want one pot, really, I want one pot. Yes. Yeah. So so and I want it to be with a really good scheme and I don't want to have to choose that scheme because I've got no idea what's yeah. a good scheme, right? And I shouldn't have to have any idea. So I think that comes down to regulation, probably to a smaller market, you know, probably to kind of some sort of consolidation or portfolios member model. Um, what worries me at the moment is people are increasingly making consolidation decisions not armed with the right information, right? Mm. And this is where kind of the, you know, the VFM work, it would have been great, wouldn't it, if it had happened 10 years ago? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Because, you know, you'd have a dashboard launching with some VFM measures in it, perhaps, right? And that's yeah. really aspirational, but perhaps. You know, you'd have you'd have a, a better regulated industry that was working to to you know both investment and cost and charges measures. Uh, and I'd know that as you move my pot around the market, as you might end up doing through sort of through a, a small pot consolidation model, that it was going to go to a good place. Yeah. And and I do worry about the DC to DC transfer market and people, for instance, choosing consolidator pensions that might not might in some cases not offer as good value for money making transfer decisions without thinking about price based on yeah. apps yeah. and emotional drivers. Yeah. yeah, and I think, personally, I think it's a big hole in the DWP consultation that they're starting with workplace when there's such a consolidation out there. And yeah. um, a lot of those consolidators are in non-workplace. I totally um, agree. And I, yeah. don't, and I don't mind, you know, I think it's 
good that we have a healthy market and if yeah. people want to consolidate outside workplace brilliant yeah but let's have a proper framework around that and let's let let's give people the information yeah. to be able to make yeah. that decision so of course you know some people will do it will move all their pots to something with a great app and a great proposition and as a result they'll choose to save more because they're more engaged and they'll think oh I'll put an yeah. extra 10 in outcome. here whatever great great but you know they need to be thinking as well about what's the investment approach what's yeah. the you know what's cost and charges you know all, all of that in a way that is accessible and meaningful to them and, and that's really difficult to get right but i completely agree with you what worries me about the exclusion of that section of the market from this consultation is feels like it's going to get take a long time to get this right yeah. the first yeah. round yeah. so if it takes ages to get the first round right when when is stage two yeah. it could be years it could yeah. Be, yeah. Yeah. and by then the ship sails yeah. isn't it? and there's a lot in the phase two bucket yeah um, because there's post-retirement yeah um, and uh, yeah you know there's just and self-select there's, there's a huge set of topics that they want to long grass yeah um and as you say it's going to take us a long time to get through the default yeah. bit of value for money isn't it but i definitely think that non-workplace consolidators should be included in yeah. phase one yeah. i think it's um you know i, I just think it's a huge distortion yeah and we've made that happen. argument you know repeated through the plsa and, and others yeah. um totally I, think, I, I do think it's very difficult i i i i think I, i'm sympathetic like emotionally um, I mean, I just made the comment previously, right? <laughs> well, uh, it's a skill set many actuaries lack. Uh, <laughs> not the ones listening, obviously. Um, so, uh, but, but, you know, I, and I did previously make the comment of the sustained uh, history of uh, financial services firms successfully uh, uh, you know, ripping off their customers. Um, but there is still the libertarian paternalist in me, which says, you know, if you see the advert and it, and it triggers you to take an action, then, you know, caveat emptor. Um, and the, it's right that we have uh, a focus on the default and inertial policies. That's 100% right. But you still should allow people to make their own mistakes. Um, and, and, you know, it is impossible for any human in 2023 to tell you what the returns of any product are going to be until 2060. Yeah. Right? I mean, that is just not uh, information that is granted to no, us. But I don't think we're saying that shouldn't be the case. I think um, pensions are different to uh, financial services products that you are repeat purchase every year, you know. Um, so, you know, I think that's an important distinction. And I think that, you know, I I think choice is a great thing. Um, you know, I think auto-enrolment could be improved to give people more choice. But it's about the information framework and disclosure framework and the value for money assessment framework around that to enable people to make an informed choice. And then I think um, you're... Was it libertarian paternalism mm. approach? You know, has some merit, but, 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 but without those safeguards, I think just saying caveat emptor. Ooh. Well, but uh, you know, those safeguards exist. There's a huge FCA rulebook, a huge FCA rulebook, right? Um, and at, the, at its heart, we're having a retail versus institutional debate. That's mm. at its heart, mm. right? And I think it is. It's just a little simplistic to say this VF in thing that we're talking about for institutions should be applied to retail because. You know, spoiler alert, there are no retail products which are value for money compared to institutional. Right? That's just a fact, right? So, so well, they just aren't, right? But, you know, if right? I go back to my saver, right? I go back to my person with £10,000 yeah. and who's, you know, earn, you know, 25 grand for, for life, let's say. It, it, it really matters whether that's 10 grand or 12 grand or 8 grand. Mm. It really makes an enormous yeah. difference. And if we're throwing people out to a market in which they cannot make those judgments, we know they can't make those judgments, 
arguably that's where regulators need to get ahead of the game, right? And come in and intervene early because there's too much, you know, because, you know, you were saying, I think earlier in the conversation, hang on, earlier in the conversation, (laughs) you were saying, uh, you know, what the FCA often does is, you know, something goes wrong and they come in and mop up. And and that's what will happen, I think, here. They'll come in and mop up. But we can see it. We're all making the argument now. Name names, Zoe. No, no, no. no. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) But there are a number of interventions that you could have. Right. So one would be if it's workplace savings, you can't take it into retail. Right. Which is there is this ring fence around the institutional side of the industry. This is auto enrolment. Over here are your non auto enrolled pension savings. Right. That, that's, a, that's a position that we could have. Right. Uh, extending value for money. I mean, look, as I said, I'll come back to there are no value for money retail pensions propositions when you compete with Nest. Right. Because the, just the scale cost, the lack of marketing. Right. It just makes it is not a level playing field. But there might be some features that the non-workplace pension scheme actually ha- or pension product actually has that are attractive to the individual. Yeah, there may well be. So we're not yeah. saying. And, so and, I'm <laughs> not. So I'm absolutely not. Let just to be really clear, I'm not saying stop transfers out yeah. into these schemes no, at, no, no. by any stretch. Right, really not saying that. <laughs> Simply saying, are there things we can do to help make sure people are doing eyes open, right? Because I've heard anecdotes about people doing it and thinking it's a consolidator app in the sense they're just seeing stuff and not even realising they're moving their assets, you know? So so we just need to be aware of that and think about other things we could do to help. And and the problem is, when you do go down that kind of path, it's quite difficult because we don't have BFM measures, right? So it is quite hard. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so just coming back to the kind of wider point, right? So the, the, we have been amazingly flat-footed on a whole host of the consequences of auto-enrolment, right? So we just never anticipated master trusts, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? We just did not. Um, so then retrospecting the uh, the, the master trust authorization, uh, we never anticipated for some, for some reason that the retail guys would essentially want to charge more than 75 basis points, mm-hmm. right? So retrospecting the, the, the charge cap. Uh, I mean, who knows? I don't know if you were in um, in uh, bits of government at the time, but uh, we never anticipated that freedom of choice would stop people from getting an income. I was on life, maternity right? leave, and I, <laughs> I, and I remember so well listening to it on the radio and thinking, "Oh my God, that's another the next ten years of my life." Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? I just that was the first thing that went through my head, which is incredibly self-interested. But it's been true, right? Because yeah. I came back and did pension wise, and and now I'm at Nest. So yeah. Um, I was uh, yeah. I was due to be uh, not speaking, but like uh, uh, a shark amongst tuna at the Towers Watson. They used to call it the Valentine's Day event, um, where they brought along uh, all the asset managers, uh, and someone would stand on stage, or fifteen speakers would stand on stage to say, "You're a ripoff. You need to drop your prices." Um, and I decided to. That was the day after the, the the budget, and I decided to to kick that and sit with a in a in a dark room with a towel around my head and work out what on earth we were going to do. Um, yeah, it was quite earth shattering at the time. It was. Um, um, it, it really was. And I remember. Um, because I was at People's Pension at the time, mm-hmm. and I remember emailing the head of um, the pension team at the Treasury, um, and it was just like, "Wow, that's all I said in the email." Yeah, yeah. And I just got the response back saying, "Good well or bad well." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good they asked, right? Yeah. They're interested. Yeah, they're like Darren's high fiving. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> well, I think um, it was much needed. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not advocating the way it was implemented because, as you were saying earlier, Zoe, like, you know, getting pension-wise over the line and, you know, developing that and launching that within a period of months. You yeah. Know, it was a huge challenge. And I think, you know, time wasn't on regulator side or industry side. And, yeah. you know, it, 
I think it was. I think it was. It was. I mean, the conversation that going back to that Tony Blair meeting, and I wasn't in any meetings with George Osborne at at the time we were doing pension wise, but it was exactly the same meetings that were happening. It was just like just Just get get it it over the line, just get it over the line, you know. And 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 it was really clear why, you know. So we had a lot of people trained and and you know to make sure it wouldn't fall over. The old system was broken. The, the old system was broken, just sort of mindlessly targeting and muting yeah. at retirement, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, in principle, was very much a fan of freedom and choice. Shop around, um, you know, shop around, no, no, shop exactly. around. Um, yeah. So I, I think um, it allows that space for innovation. Yeah, and I think we are starting to see yeah, only eight, um, more nine appetite. years later. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's, the ish, that's the thing, isn't it? Time, it? We're playing isn't catch up, and I think we just have to focus now. And I know there's going to be a a consultation out from DWP on, over the summer on decumulation. And I think it's just really important that we kind of motor a bit in getting yeah, yeah. these default yeah. products out yeah. and yeah. working for people um, because it is a big gap and, and there will be people retiring now that don't have access to the right the right thing. Can, yeah. can we come on to a semi-technical aspect of that? Because you mentioned the risk pooling in the income piece. Yeah. So I think in the blueprint, that's a deferred annuity. Is that right? It's a, no, It's not definitive in the blueprint okay. so it's either mortality pooling or yeah. a deferred annuity depending on what's going on with the market yeah. and okay. because this was it was what 2017 the blueprint yeah. 16 or something yeah 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 and obviously in the meantime um parts of the market are very excited about cdc and indeed uh the resolution foundation i didn't mention the cdc uh, this is it's three letters that we shouldn't really be mentioning in this in this podcast um, but yeah, I think that kind of space is going to be very interesting to see whether, for me, it's not about inter- intergenerational risk transfer. Um, I really cannot understand why I would join a scheme at 25, which is doing exactly what the tax system and state pension system is doing in robbing me uh, to, to pay over promises for the previous two generations. Right. Um, but that risk sharing between a cohort, I do think there are some interesting pieces there. Mm. Um, the Americans are very excited by the word tontine. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Um, which, by the way, uh, is with profit annuities for, mm. for anyone with a more developed uh, life assurance <laughs> system. Um, or variable annuities. So I think the Japanese have a good variable annuity system. So I definitely think there are products that we lack or we've lost in this country. Um, but yeah, I mean, at some stage you have to find some risk pooling right? yeah yeah and and i think it, the question is um how you have the choice architecture and or default to to yeah. help people into the at retirement phase and then you know how do you create the products in a safe way that can can actually deliver that and what i'm really impressed by within the pensions industry is we're actually starting to have those conversations now yeah you know yeah. and i think um yeah it's been it's been too late coming yeah. but you know we've been dealing with auto enrollment and there's been lots going on and stuff but i think you know um, over the next few years there's an opportunity for some real innovation i think that's and, right and, yeah. And, and yeah it's not just cdc you know yeah. it's, it's, it's across the piece actually and yeah. i would like to see sort of wider consideration of, of wider products you know it'd be great to see a dusted down version of the blueprint at some time as well wouldn't it yeah. wouldn't it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean I, t- I just keep on coming back to contributions 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 yeah. right i mean how we expect to have a pension system which works on, on, on five and three i mean it's just it just boggles the mind yeah but then it um, comes down to five and three on what level of income and, and stuff like that I don't yeah but at yeah. first i mean we need to get to like 12 and 12 right i mean so it's kind of regardless at some stage uh it, you know if if the expectation because we put the 12 word pension, and 12 because we put the word Do you mean pension 12, on six it, and six no because we put the word pension on it yeah right 
then somebody's expecting an income which actually sustains yeah, yeah. them, right? Because that member who's got £10,000 and you very generously give them 50 quid a week, I mean, like, honestly, give them the £10,000 in cash. Honestly, right? That's a huge debate, but, like, really, it's not worth I mean, we won't agree right? on that, but, but you know, okay. I think, you know, that's fine. I, I think... It, it, I, I agree contributions need to go up. They're way too low. There's loads of people saving, you know, who could easily afford to, to, to contribute more and then they're, they're not going to get an adequate income and they're going to get to retirement. And I do think there'll be a few years where people are getting to retirement going, what on earth? You yeah. said 8%. Mm, I yeah. ended on 8%. Yeah. What's happened, right? Yeah, so I do yeah, think there's yeah. a real reputational risk there for government and industry, actually, potentially. Um, but, I, but I also think, um, you know, we need to be very careful about the people on lower earnings who are oversaving. Perhaps we need sidecar or something like sidecar. Mm. You know, perhaps we need different mechanisms for people on different earnings. That's complex. How do you do it? You know, there's a lot to think about. But I, yep. I mean, fundamentally, I agree. Overall, people aren't saving enough and it needs to go up. And, and I think it would yep. be good to, to, to see a timetable for that. And I cannot see a point where an individual Chancellor of the Exchequer in the next 15, 50 years is going to go, now is the moment that the economy is such a healthy state that we can increment our contributions up a bit. So we have to come back to some sort of cross-party consensus, to some sort of long-termist thinking and go, OK, you know, let's do it by half a percent. It's year, probably a bill next. that has in it a timetable that starts in three years' time, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's something like that. And gradual. Yeah, and gradual. You know, that's what yeah. they did in Australia, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, it took them quite a few years to get them up to, is it 12% now or around about 12%? I think it's 12 plus 8, is it? It's 12 from the employer? No, it's, it's, it's only on the employer. It's all on the it's employer. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Australia, yeah. 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 Um, so, but then we also have to come back to what we're expecting the system to deliver. Um, because... You know, if there's any kind of replacement ratio discussion around pensions, then it does need to be a lot higher than where it, where it is now. Mm. A lot higher. Yeah. Um, if ISA and LISA and whatever other kind of post-tax, uh, post-employee tax reliefs, uh, taxing uh, comes, uh, you know, part of the mix. You know, house, right? There's this... We talked about care, right? There's, there's all sorts of uh, longevity crises. There's a real risk, I think, with bringing right? housing into it in the sense that people... I mean, by and large, people think their house is their pension, but it's not because they don't actually want to move yeah, when yeah, it comes yeah, to yeah. it, right? And, 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 and so there's a real well. danger of people thinking about the solution. And quite, quite, yeah. Um, right, we've probably done all of that. We have, Zoe, like, we've, <laughs> we've gone totally, as we always do on this, we've gone totally off-piste, yeah, and we've had a really wide-ranging discussion. Um, what have we missed on VFM? Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, I've got my two pages of notes here, trusty two pages of notes, and I, and I think I've pretty much... Actually, I'll tell you one thing we haven't talked about is service in the VFM yeah, consultation. Yeah, yeah. Let's quickly do that. <clears throat> so I worry about common service um, levels and expecting engagement as part of the service piece as part of the VFM consultation. So if you measure schemes on engagement levels, that's not fair because we've all got completely different membership profiles yeah. and by and large our members aren't going to engage and shouldn't have to. So I tend to think, and I think that Darren, this is something you and I have discussed, but I tend to think that perhaps trustees writing an evidence-based narrative that says this is why the service levels I'm offering are the service levels I'm offering and this is why and here's the evidence why it's suitable for my membership mm. and the regulator scrutinizing that, scrutinizing that but really scrutinizing it right to go back to my point the earlier because point it's so yeah, subjective yeah. I think you have to land somewhere like that I just don't I can't think of a way of doing service yeah. in, a, in, 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 a, in, a, in a completely um, uh, kind of common way yeah schemes aren't homogenous it's not a homogenous market people aren't homogenous and, and I think that you know 
we, we we've talked a lot about money in money out and yeah. as, as being a, a sort of key determinant of value and um, david farrow was very strong on that when, yeah, we, yeah. when we spoke to him um but i think some of the other stuff is important yeah but it's about getting the weightings right between different features of the scheme you know is it better for an organization like nest or a tpp now, or now yeah. you know that they just sort of devote a lot of energy into producing the best possible default fund within the market yeah um as opposed to a whizzy thing over here or an engagement campaign over there or whatever yeah. but whereas for other schemes offering a wider range of self-select and you know having tools and calculators that help people engage and choose might be the right thing i mean i think just i think you can it doesn't have to be an either or right so mm. i do think you can have big default schemes like tpp nest offering really really good service right mm. and, yeah. and 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 you know when you come to us we're great but we don't need the same level of choice, right? And yep. we don't need the same level of sophistication in some of the some of the propositions, and and so and so it should be cheaper, right? And it shouldn't be quite the same thing. Mm. Um, so so I think it's not about certainly not about offering kind of lukewarm service. The service should be great, but it but it should be suitable it's and, points, and, and it? It, yeah exactly. It's different yeah, touch points. Yeah. So you know, you, no one wants uh, someone to be on the phone for five minutes before they can speak to someone or whatever the the length of time actually is yeah so getting the touch points right should yeah. be you know it should, should be a requirement for all schemes and, yeah. and in a way if you don't do that you're not offering value for money mm. yeah but it's, it's almost like it's not bells and whistles it's the wrong phrase but it's the sort of added um extras yeah that are um that are right for the saver within that scheme and, exactly. work, and working out exactly. you know yeah. um, what's best for them i sort of lean towards so i really like in the consultation that you have to justify anything you which is not investment in terms of outcomes to members. So if you have a rationale that good service leads to better outcomes, and there's plenty that you could have, then you need to write it down. You need to demonstrate how you're measuring the things that you've said, uh, and by all means, demonstrate that that's good value for money. Um, I think there's a big risk, and it's coming back to uh, some of the retail side, You know that what we're really talking about is putting people into non-protected products outside of the default charge cap, uh, putting essentially uh, the, uh, the you know the, the the dream of investment returns ahead of just sensible contributions. Right? There's all sorts of things that even in the institutional world, these commercial interests in the master trust sector would love to get you to do, which are not value for money, mm. but you could write up as value for money. And I think it's a really difficult line. It's a very difficult line for any regulator to look inside the tent where they go like, oh, well, you know, offering a... I was, my favourite example when I was at Barclays was um, one of the Barcap guys like writes me an email and goes, like, I'm missing from my self-select. It goes, um, Canadian forestry futures. <laughs> right? And so I sent this email back going like, mate, look, we have to realise there's retail people in this scheme, like uh, retail banking stuff. Uh, and, you know, by the time I can get it through the trustees, launch a fund, get it into the self-select, you will no longer be interested in Canadian forestry futures. <laughs> but they, they will be interested in taking one over-end diversification, so putting uh, as much of their uh, money in, into each pot as there are self-select options for them to do. So you, you just have to, you have to in some way have an institution which has got libertarian paternalism and the interest of getting an outcome at heart. And I, I don't think in the value for money consultation that there's you know they've kind of struck out some of those pieces and i think that's really it's going to be very interesting to see how the industry responds because mm. um, so, that's margin for them right? so we're not going to let nico have the last word so zoe um and we haven't prepped this at all so totally putting on on the spot you know um, 
what's your last word on this? <laughs> what's the key to I think my last word is income. It's all about income. Yeah. Let's get everyone giving delivering really great sustainable incomes mm. for, for people and and let's make sure that the regulators checking their, their yeah. high quality. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. I think that's a that's a really nice point to end the conversation on. Thank you. Um, we're in our pod. We're in our we, pods. We love our pod. It's quite a nice pod, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, it's quite have warm been to the other pod? It's very warm. There's, there's <laughs> two pods. Have we ever been to the other one? We haven't. We're, we're always in pod, pod one. one. We're pod one. Recording and, um, live. We're, you know, the usual shout out to DG Publishing. Yes. Um, for hosting us in, in the pod. Um, their Impact and Responsible Investment Conference is coming up on 23rd of March at London Zoo. Yeah. Um, the agenda for that is coming together really well. There's um, a question time panel that you're on, Nico. Yeah. I think we've got Karen. question time. I thought I was a dragon. Um, you might be that as well. <laughs> um, the um, uh, so we've got um, Karen Shackleton on that panel as well uh, for pensions for purpose, right. and um, Caroline Hopper uh, from Quiet Room as well. Cool. So um, and I might be chairing it actually. Oh well, I might be chairing it. Uh, so um, watch out for uh, that. Uh, you're going to take chair's privilege. Oh, <laughs> totally. I'm going to get get my um, own back on you. Um, for these Here's a question the audience member should have asked. No, exactly. <laughs> um, is there anything you want to mention, Nico? Uh, yeah. Well, look. So we got the DC Strategic Summit uh, uh, with DG Publishing on the 15th of May. So very much looking forward to that. Uh, we've got the PPI uh, launching their reports on alternative and the liquid assets on the 9th of March. Um, I think we're both involved in that. Um, and then, of course, uh, I'm, I'm launching my TCFD research uh, on the 28th of March, uh, which is at the JP Morgan um, beautiful venue here on uh, Victoria and Embankment. Um, and that's with the DCIF. Cool. Well, we're massively overrunning, so yeah. we'll do a very, very quick outro. Um, so thanks very much, Zoe. Um, great to have the discussion. Thanks for having uh, me. I've known you for years in pensions. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we've had our moments, haven't we? But uh, we've yeah. always got on yeah. really well and stuff, sure, we, which is we'll um, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, be really interested to see this response to the consultation and mm. stuff, actually. Um, and, you know, there's, there's so much to work through on this. Yeah. Um, you can find us on all good platform, podcast platforms, can't you, Nico? Yes. Uh, Google, Apple, Spotify, I think they're the, yeah. the big three. They're the, they? they're the big three. Amazon, I think, as well. So that's, yes. um, that's great. And people can email us, can't they? Yes, they can. I can always remember the, the email address. It's vfmpensions at gmail.com. Next week, uh, we have Sophia Singleton. We do. Uh, we've got a host of people coming up. Uh, so I think the week after, we've got Des Healy from the DWP. Yep. Um, Two-thirds of the way through the consultation period. Um, and I know he's an avid listener, so Des, looking forward to having you. Um, and until next time, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you very much, Zoe. Thanks a lot.